Hey, what's up, 11 o'clock? How we doing out there, Rocky Peak? Awesome. Well, it is good to be with you, whether you're here live in the worship center, whether you're one of my rowdy friends over in the Ridge. Welcome to Rocky Peak. If you're here for the first time in either venue, special welcome to you. We're excited that you're spending the service time with us. My name is Dre. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to lead us in our time of teaching. But before we do, I also want to reemphasize something that Andy shared during the announcements, is that as we head into a brand new year, and first of all, that's crazy to me that 2018 ends tomorrow as we go. But as we get ready for a brand new year, I'm really excited about this Loving People teaching series and the study we're going to be doing in our life groups. And I want to encourage you, that study is going to involve these two books we're going to be going through. And so some of you are choosing to do that digitally, which is awesome. But if you want to get the physical copies of it, again, we can do that for you now in the Rocky Peak Bookstore. We're selling to you at cost, so make sure you stop by and check that out so we get ready to be able to do this together. So for the last message of 2018, I'm going to, if you open up your program, inside is a green and white message note sheet which is always provided as a great tool to help you follow along at this time of teaching. It's also a great tool. It's got some blank space there for you to be able to jot down anything the Holy Spirit is specifically prompting you to remember. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right in. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, I just want to stop and thank you for your word. I want to thank you that Scripture is not merely ink on a page, but that it is God-breathed. I want to thank you that that means you have placed your authority to give light, life through your word. I want to thank you that in Hebrews, you describe your word as being living and active, Jesus. And so, in a sense, our final note of 2018 and our first note of 2019, we want it to be your word and your voice. And so what's beautiful about your word, Jesus, is we don't need to ask you to speak because you already are. And so as a church, as Christ followers, we have gathered today to say that we are ready to listen and to follow. Father, as I often pray as the communicator, let me become much, much less. I am not the focus this morning, but let your precious son, Jesus, who is our king and our savior, become much, much more. We thank you for this time and the encouragement it's going to bring to us, Jesus, in your son's name. Everybody said, amen. Well, if you're here for the very first time, not only want to welcome you again, but want to take just a few moments to bring you up to speed. So this morning, we are going to be concluding the series we've been in for the last several weeks called The Gospel. Now, this has been a study in one of the letters in, one of the letters in what we call the New Testament, the second half of our Bible, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And this letter was written by a man named the Apostle Paul, who was one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. And he's addressing this to Christ followers who are living in and around the ancient city of Philippi, which is located in Greece. So about 10, 12 years earlier, Paul was physically there and helped start this church, as well as became close friends with the church at Philippi. And the heart behind this study is that more so in this letter than in any of the other letters we have of Paul throughout the New Testament, he refers to or uses the word or phrase, the gospel. And throughout this letter, we see that Paul wants us as Christ followers to understand two truths about the gospel. One, the message of the gospel is bigger, brighter, bolder, deeper than we often understand it. But secondly, and just as important, he wants us to understand that the gospel is much more than a message to be heard, but it is a life to be lived. And so we've been summing it up each week by saying the gospel is more than a message to be believed, but it is a life to be lived out. And so today, as we conclude our time, as we wrap up this letter, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be finishing up a section, the final section of Philippians, that Michael started two weeks ago. Now, I realize that because of Christmas, two weeks ago feels like an eternity ago. But as Michael began unpacking this final section, Paul 
ends his letter by going back to the catalyst to the reason why he wrote this letter in the first place. And that was to thank the church at Philippi for their financial support while he's in prison. And so what Michael did two weeks ago is that he unpacked that Paul uses this as an example to show Christ followers what the secret to true contentment is. That contentment is not found in our ever-changing circumstances, but true commitment is found spiritually, supernaturally, in the fact that Jesus' presence is with us always. And so part of that message is Michael unpacked this very popular uh, verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we see that in context, what that really means is I can be content in all circumstances because of the living Jesus who is present with me. And so today, we're going to continue this final section, and it's an amazing section as it brings us to the beginning of a new year. As Paul concludes his letter by celebrating the growth in this church, but also giving them a charge that as you continue to move forward, continue to pursue spiritual maturity. And so again, this is great timing for us as we get ready to begin a brand new year. But before we go in, fam, I want to encourage you to do something for me. Don't look at this through the lens of a New Year's resolution. I cannot stand that word. You know why I can't stand that word? Because we have accepted as a culture that a resolution is something we have no intention on keeping. (laughs) And so rather, let's see this charge heading into 2019 as an opportunity to increase our devotion in our relationship with Jesus. And so with that there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled The Maturing Church. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. You've got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 14. And as usual with me, if you've got a pen handy, if you've got the highlight function ready in your apps, we're going to mark this passage up quite a bit. So starting in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Would you underline that? Share in my troubles. Verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, Macedonia is the province that Philippi was located in, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now let's stop right there and unpack this. And if you catch Paul's tone, he is celebrating the church at Philippi as if he's a teacher pleased with the growth of his students. And what's amazing is that Paul is celebrating what he sees through their gift, but he's also looking beyond that. Two weeks ago, Michael said something that is key for our time today, that Paul is so thankful for their gift, not just because it meets his immediate need, but he is so thankful because of what their gift represents. And so here he is celebrating that through this act of giving financially to his ministry, that is representing that the church of Philippi is maturing in their faith. That this act is evidence that they are growing in their faith as Christ followers. And we see that in how he celebrates them. The fact that he says, you have entered into my troubles. He's not simply referring to the fact that they've entered into his literal troubles by providing for him when he's in prison, but he's using the language of partnership that has been so key throughout this letter that they have entered into the partnership of advancing the gospel. And he talks about how they continue Continue to enter into this gospel advancement partnership even after Paul left their immediate vicinity. And so what he's calling out is their maturity that they didn't view this mission to advance the gospel as being Paul's mission, but they viewed it as 
our mission. As Christ followers, we are partners in the mission of advancing the gospel, and we want to contribute any way we can. That for them in this context was to give financially. Now, you need to understand also why this was so extraordinary. That remember, in the Roman world, to be a Christ follower, to be someone who declared that Jesus is the one true Lord rather than the common declaration that Caesar is Lord came with a lot of great cost. We have experienced what it's like to pay a cost for being Christ followers in our culture today. But what we experience is a small example of what the early church experienced in a Roman culture. To declare that Jesus is Lord, to be a Christ follower in this culture, meant that you lost a lot socially. The fact that you believed in one God and you say it was this crucified man in Jesus cost you friends and standings in your community. To be a Christ follower in the Roman Empire in the early movement cost you greatly financially. Michael has talked about how the church in this province in Macedonia suffered financially greatly. To be a Christ follower meant that jobs, businesses, anywhere where money was exchanged no longer wanted to do business with you. To be a Christ follower in this culture cost you quite a bit politically because this was the opposite of what the government and the ruling power stood by. Again, the declaration was that Caesar is Lord. And so what Paul is celebrating is that he has celebrating the fact that this gift represents their maturity. It represents that they have encountered the living Jesus. They have been transformed by the living Jesus. And in that transformation, they now have a new top priority, which is knowing Jesus more in their lives and making Jesus more. That is what we call advancing the gospel. Because to enter into suffering is not an easy decision. It is a mature decision. To give sacrificially of your finances, of your resource, of your time is not an easy decision, but it is a mature decision to support the church beyond your local vicinity, to see it as a global movement is not an easy decision, but it is a mature decision. And so you see Paul is celebrating that their faith is growing. And what's beautiful is remember where we've been they are not perfect people. They still struggle. There has been infighting. There has been temptations. They've been falling into areas that Paul has needed to correct. But those imperfections does not negate their maturity. And so Paul is celebrating that and he continues. Verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Paul is not being, Paul is not being a Debbie Downer here. He's not saying, you sent me gifts, but I really didn't want it. Paul was showing his integrity, that he didn't want to even risk the hint that anyone would accuse that all he was was a false teacher that just wanted the money. He was trying to show that he wasn't trying to secretly manipulate them into sending them more money. But he's, again, focused on the big picture. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Would you underline that? That more be credited to your account. And so he uses his financial picture, again, to show their spiritual maturity, that because of your faith, your spiritual bank account is growing in the eyes of God. Verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. Again, that is him saying, thank you for supporting me. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice. Would you underline that? They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so again, 
Paul is celebrating their maturing faith. And so he equates their gift with this act of devotion. And so Paul uses beautiful, sacred, Jewish Old Testament language that in the Old Testament, we see that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, that they expressed and showed their devotion by offering regular sacrifices to the Lord God Almighty. And these sacrifices would represent and ask for the forgiveness of sin, but also these sacrifices were to show one's devotion and commitment to the Lord God and his will in our lives. And so Paul, again, is equating their act as them giving their lives as a living sacrifice of them maturing to the point where they're saying, my top priority is to listen and follow your leading, Jesus, so whatever you want me to do, I will do. And in fact, it echoes very much some words that Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans there in your note sheet. In Romans chapter 12, he says that I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so again, he's looking beyond the gift at what this gift means, and he's celebrating, you are growing and maturing in your faith. And so he celebrates that. And then as we go on, he continues to give them a charge to continue to grow in this pursuit. Verse 19, and my God, first of all, I love how personal he refers to God the Father. And Christ follower, understand, we have that same personal relationship as well. And my God will meet all your needs. Would you underline that? And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you underline the word amen? We have seen that throughout this whole letter, Paul has described that as human beings, our greatest need is the presence of the living Jesus in our lives. That our greatest need is not to be saved from our circumstances, but our greatest need is to encounter the love, power, and transformation found in the regular presence of Jesus in our lives. And as he's talked and uses his own hardship as an example, that Jesus is not always going to deliver us from our circumstance, but his presence will always enter into our suffering to be present with us, that he is there and that is our greatest need. And it is in the presence of Jesus in which we experience maturity. And so he talks about how Jesus will meet your need and will not do it by giving you table scraps, but he will give to you lavishly as you experience his glory. And sometimes this word of God's glory, this phrase, can seem hard to understand or mystical. What does that really mean? And to encounter the glory of God, to encounter the glory of Jesus, is to encounter his character, is to experience for yourself that Jesus is good, that he is powerful, that he is peace, that he is compassionate. To experience the glory of Jesus is to be empowered by his character, to be transformed by his character regardless of our circumstances. And Paul says that it is out of the glory of God in which he will meet all of your needs. And he ends that section by saying, amen. And as a church, we need to let the Bible redefine what we think we know. Because I don't know about you and your religious background, 
But for many years, I didn't understand the purpose of amen. To me, it sounded like a very cold religious word. I didn't know what it meant. All I knew was that when someone was doing religious talk, amen was the period. That's how you knew they were done. (laughs) But when scripture says amen, it is not cold and emotionless. Amen is an enthusiastic declaration the church gets to make. To say amen is to say it will be so. Make it so. That is true. So understand what Paul has been declaring is that the risen Jesus who conquered sin and death who came into your life, who gave you from your sins, who resurrected your very souls, the risen Jesus will enter into your everyday circumstance, the good and the bad. The risen Jesus will reveal more of his character and through that more of who you've been designed to be. The risen Jesus will give you the power, the strength, and his authority to not only survive in life, but to thrive in it. The risen Jesus is with you always, church. Amen. And then he closes out his letter in verse 21, and he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. And again, this shows the depth of his friendship with the church that while he doesn't call out anybody by name, he says, greet everybody individually. We get the sense that for the apostle, a church leader standing before the church and saying, by the way, Paul says hi, was not good enough for him. He wanted it to be personal. And then he goes on, verse 22, all of God's people here send you greetings. There were Christ followers and other people in Rome that came and interacted with Paul. But look what he says next. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Would you underline that? Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. This takes us back to verse 1. While Paul would freely say that being imprisoned and chained in a Roman prison was not his plan was not what he would have desired. But in chapter one, he said, but God has used these circumstances to advance the gospel. And again, Paul is showing that the gospel advancing is not dependent on our circumstances. That here he is, imprisoned and chained to a Praetorian guard, and Paul's mindset is, well, they're chained to me, they can't go anywhere, let's talk about Jesus. And in probably for the early church, the unlikeliest of places, the heart of the Roman Empire, the gospel is changing hearts. In the hub of where Caesar is Lord is declared, people are now saying Jesus is Lord. And it is a reminder that even in our darkest circumstances, even in our unlikeliest circumstances, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, when our eyes are fixed on knowing him and making him know, the gospel will advance. And finally... The grace of the Lord Spirit be the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He began this letter by celebrating the grace of Jesus. And he closes this letter by celebrating the grace of Jesus. And understand when we celebrate the grace, what it reveals, it reveals the depth of his love for us, but it also reveals the depth of his power. The grace, the forgiveness of our sins could only be given to us from an almighty king. And so when we celebrate grace, we not only celebrate the love and compassion, but we celebrate the power of Jesus the Messiah. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, amen. And so that is the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And before we move forward, just together as family, we need to say, Jesus, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for how it speaks to us, how it teaches us. Jesus, thank you that your words are just as relevant to us today as they were 2,000 years ago. Thank you for constantly giving yourself of, your, your, giving yourself of to, to us through your word forever and ever. Amen.
And so, as we move on from Paul's letter to the Philippians, what we need to do is we need to unpack the big picture. And this isn't just a big picture that Paul unpacked in this final charge, but this is something he's been talking about all throughout this letter. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled The Big Picture, and your fill-in is this, that God's vision for you is maturity. God's vision for you is maturity. If you have been around Rocky Peak for any length of time, you have likely heard us regularly declare this core truth, that God has an epic vision for your life. And that is true of all creation whether you've been walking with Jesus beautifully for a matter of years or decades, or whether you're new to walking with Jesus and have only been walking with him for a number of hours, God has an epic vision for your life. And that vision includes you growing in your spiritual maturity. And what's beautiful about this is that spiritual maturity is not reserved for a group of Christian elites. Spiritual maturity is not reserved for a group of the best of the best of the best when it comes to Christ followers. But this is God's vision for all creation. God's vision for you is one of maturity. I like how it's put there in your note sheet by uh, Richard Stearns, the CEO of World Vision International. He says that we were not created to live lives of quiet desperation or to just pass the time as we shamble through our 80 years on earth. God created us for a divine purpose, to play a role in his unfolding story. We are children of the king and we were made for more. Hear that directly to you today. You are a child of the King and you were created for more. And as we continue, there is no such thing as an ordinary follower of Christ with an ordinary life. Every one of us was made for more. Would you underline that last phrase? Every one of us was made for more. God has an epic vision for your life. And when we say that this vision for your life is a vision of maturity, it's another way of saying what we often say here at Rocky Peak, that God's vision for your life is one of transformation. And so as we start a brand new year, we need to be a people that are willing to embrace God's vision for our lives. We need to be a people that learn to have a high view of ourselves as God does as well. And so if we want to embrace this vision, what we need to do is we need the word to teach us. We need his scripture to change the way we think and give us a new mindset about maturity, both what it is and how we approach that. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack two areas in which we need the Holy Spirit to transform our mindset when it comes to maturity. Now, these aren't on your note sheet, but feel free to jot them down if you like. The first area of transformation is this. We need to be transformed in how we view and define maturity in the first place. We need to be clear on what is that goal, what is that signpost we're aiming for. And so to unpack this, the first thing I wanna do is I wanna start off, and I hope this is an encouragement, by being clear as to what maturity is not. Maturity is not perfection. Does that feel better? Maturity is not perfection. Maturity is also not, maturity is not always knowing exactly how to handle any situation or trial life throws at you. Maturity is not never having doubt. Maturity is not never dealing with temptation or failure. Maturity is not always being right. 
Maturity is not knowing every last religious fact. As we look through what Paul teaches in his letter to the Philippians, he actually paints a very clear picture as to what true maturity is. True maturity is pursuing, true maturity is knowing, and true maturity is experiencing transformation in the presence of the living Jesus. True maturity is pursuing, True maturity is knowing, and true maturity is experiencing transformation in the presence of the living Jesus. Because it's in these encounters that we see much clearer who Jesus really is. It's in these encounters that through that we see much clearer who we were designed to be. It's in these encounters that we learn how to leave sin behind and reflect more of the character of Jesus. And if we take a look at the chapters we've been in Philippians, we see Paul emphasize this over and over and over again. Back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul prays that, your lo- that I, he hopes that our love would abound more and that we would be filled with the fright- righteousness that comes through being in the presence of Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, he says, if you find encouragement being united with Christ, that you would have the same mindset of Jesus. In chapter 3, he just honestly declares, I want to know Christ more and to know the power of his resurrection. And so maturity is not rooted in our circumstances. Again, if we go back to Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We realize that our maturity is not rooted in the ever-changing, but it is rooted in the never-changing presence of Jesus in our lives. And that's the first area in which we need a new mindset. The second area is we need Jesus to transform us and give us a new passion and a desire to pursue spiritual maturity. And this requires us to be honest, that we need to have an honest assessment about the fact that when it comes to my spiritual life, am I intentionally pursuing maturity or has my growth stalled or stopped? Now, for many of us, we probably have experienced something along these lines, that when we first gave our lives to Jesus, just like when we first enter a brand new relationship of any kind, we're in the very enthusiastic puppy dog love stage. And some of you remember that beautiful time that when you first gave your life to Jesus, you couldn't get enough of him, could you? It felt like every time you went to church, every time you were in life group, you were just a sponge and everything was giving you spiritual insight after insight and you were just growing like crazy. It felt like you couldn't get enough of praying. You couldn't get enough of the word. You were reading it. You were understanding it. You were seeing it. You were amening it as you went along. It felt like you couldn't get enough of worship. Every time you heard a song, regardless of your singing ability, it led you to bow a knee and say, God, you are incredible. You couldn't talk enough about Jesus. You talked to your friends. You talked to your family. You talked to the poor retail workers who are captive audiences because they're ringing you up going, man, Jesus is incredible. And understand, that time is a gift that the Lord gives us. It's meant to serve as a catalyst for something much deeper. Because in all relationships, those emotions eventually subside. Now, that's not a time to be sorrowful. It is an opportunity to choose something deeper. Because in any relationship, The one thing that is true about the puppy dog phase is that it feels easy. When it stops feeling easy is when there's an opportunity to experience a deeper devotion. But the temptation and the trap is that for many of us, when growing spiritually stopped feeling easy or natural, is when we stopped growing. Because all of a sudden, this wasn't as easy as it used to be. Now this is requiring more work 
or more effort, and I don't know if I like this. For many of us, we kind of fall into this trap that, you know what, I grew for a while. I grew and I matured. I'm good. And we would look back on the length of our time as a spiritual, in our spiritual journey and be like, I haven't really grown, but hey, I got to a point, I'm good and I'm comfortable where I'm at. And I want to illustrate that mindset by bringing back an analogy I used about two and a half years ago, and that's this. When I think back to when I was in high school and the early part of college for me, when I think back to the type of student I was when it came to my academics, I was defined by the attitude that C's get degrees. (laughs) Now, if you've never heard that phrase, that means you were a good student. And more power to you. But the rest of you, come on fam, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And here's what it meant to be a C's, get degrees student. It meant that my goal was not to fail, but I wanted to discover and put in the least amount of effort possible to pass with the lowest possible passing grade. That is all I wanted to do. And it characterized my life that I was bright but lazy. And the thing about this attitude is that it doesn't just describe our view of academics. Do you see where we often adopt and this attitude overflows into other areas in our lives? Parents, have you seen this attitude in your kids when it comes to them doing chores? Have you experienced this attitude through yourself or through coworkers when it comes to accomplishing tasks at work? Have you seen this in your marriage? Have you seen this in your, in your, in your efforts to work out or to eat right? See, and I bring this up because for so many of us, what we don't realize is that we have become C's, get degrees, Christ followers. And what we need when that happens is we need our Father to re-envision us. We need our Father to remind us that we were created for something so much more. See, I think of my role as a father to my children, and I'm constantly trying to paint a big vision for them that you have the opportunity to be so much in this life. And God is our perfect Father, and often through His Word, He takes us, sons and daughters, and He envisions enough that I don't want you to be a C's, get degrees, because you will miss out. I want you to be something so much more. And what's beautiful about when God envisions us through this epic vision for our life is that He doesn't do it through a baseless hope, but He not only envisions us as our Father, but He envisions us as our creator. He wired us. He knows what we're capable of. He has given us what we need, the Holy Spirit, and says that my vision for your life is epic, and I have given you everything to not only survive, but to thrive in this world. In this series, I have often come back to Ephesians chapter 1. I hold tightly to this prayer that Paul does to the church at Ephesus. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And why that is so beautiful to me is within the context of the first chapter, Paul has heard that this church is maturing Paul has heard that they're trending upward on their spiritual growth. Paul has also heard that they were experiencing difficult circumstances, much like the church in Philippi. And yet Paul realizes that the most important thing he could ever pray for a Christ follower is not a deliverance from their circumstances, but is for them to experience more of Jesus. Because that will overflow into everything else. So Christ follower, God's vision for your life is one of maturity. 
And so as we unpack that truth, and again, what I want to do is I want to focus on the fact that Paul throughout this letter teaches and models what we are to be focused on if we're going to embrace this vision. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Focusing on Growth. And your fill-in is this. Maturity is the result of encounter. Maturity is the result of encounter with Jesus. And again, I hope that this is an encouraging truth because we need to have some honest talk as family that there are many of us in this room that when we hear or are taught about this charge or this opportunity to grow spiritually, to grow in our maturity, There are many of us that genuinely have that desire, but at the same time, we are completely intimidated by it. We often, sometimes our first reaction is to see all of the reasons why this isn't going to work for us. All of the reasons why we are going to fail at this or we're not good enough. We tend to have a natural tendency to see this growth, the the pursuit of growth, as seeing the deck stacked completely against us. Now, let me illustrate this feeling in this way. Growing up, a television show that I adored was The Price is Right. Have you ever seen The Price is Right? I love The Price is Right. Because of Bob Barker, I understood the importance of having my pet spayed and neutered. I love The Price is Right. If I was home, not at school, for whatever reason, my elementary life, my schedule revolved around watching I Love Lucy and revolved around watching The Price is Right. And what's funny is as much as I loved The Price is Right, I never wanted to be on it because I was terrified that I was going to fail. I wasn't terrified that I would lose later on. I know myself. I was terrified that I would never get past the first round where you have to guess what the retail price is. That is not my spiritual gift. And so when you watch The Price is Right, you get, like, they play these different games and they vary them throughout the episodes and you end up finding favorites. These are my favorite ones. So I want to share my two favorite ones with you. So the first one, Richard, is this. Do you remember Plinko? You would drop that disc, it would randomly fall down, and you wanted it to get in a high point value. That was always an exciting game to me. And then my favorite one, Richard, you can go to the next picture, is the wheel. Everybody faced the wheel. In the theology of the Price is Right, the wheel was Judgment Day. (laughs) Because you were given two spins to get as close to, or in the rare case, make it on a dollar so that you can make it to the showcase showdown, where you either won an amazing prize like a vacation or a car, or you won like a new kitchen set or something like that. You know what's crazy is in my lifetime, I had to have two friends that have won The Price is Right. So I live vicariously through them. Richard, you can pull that down. But what's interesting to me about both those games is that there is no strategy involved. You may think there's strategy in those games. Maybe if I position myself in Plinko on this, or maybe if I use a weak spin or a strong spin, or I I avoid them. But the reality is there were other games on The Price is Right that required skill and strategy. These did not. In fact, fact, both those games were defined by having the deck stacked against you. It was 95% likely that you would fail because of that game, and there was nothing you could do about it. All you saw was all the ways this could go wrong. And the truth is, for many of us, that's where we feel intimidated in this pursuit of spiritual maturity, that we want it, but it feels like all we see are all the ways in which this won't happen. We can't see past the sin we struggle with. We can't see past what we don't know about the Bible. We can't see past all of our circumstances. We can't see past our confusion. We get intimidated because we look around and it feels like, man, these people around me are growing like crazy and that's not happening. There must be something wrong with me. And Christ follower, wherever you are in your journey, I want to ask you to stop and take a holy breath. 
Because that is not what maturity is all about. Maturity is not rooted in what we can or cannot do. Maturity is rooted in the presence of the living Jesus with us. Maturity is not about seeing all the ways in which this could go wrong, but it is about regularly seeing Jesus with us who will lead us to where he has called us to be. And what's beautiful about that is, again, at Rocky Peak, that is why we constantly emphasize that as Christ followers, the most important thing we could ever do with our lives is learn how to listen and follow the leading of God's Spirit in our lives. Do you know how I know that God's vision for you is maturity? Because God has given you exactly what you need to succeed, and that is the Holy Spirit. Christ follower, when you gave your life to Jesus in a beautiful act of repentance, when you renounced sin, when you renounced the kingdom of darkness, when you said, Jesus, you are king, you forgive me of my sin and you transformed me, when you bowed the knee and declared yourself as part of God's kingdom, he not only transformed you, but as the seal and the mark of his transformation, he has given you his very spirit, the living spirit of the living Messiah. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be your teacher, is to be your counselor, and it is to lead you every day into the presence of Jesus. He has given you what you need to embrace this vision he has for you. And there in your note sheet, I like how Dallas Willard puts it in my favorite book. He says that the presence of the Holy Spirit can always be recognized by the way that he moves us towards, Jesus, towards what Jesus would be and do. What brings about our transformation into Christ-likeness is our direct, personal interaction with Christ through the Spirit. The Spirit makes Christ present to us and draws us towards His likeness. And so, Rocky Peak, we are standing on the precipice of a brand new year. And we don't know what 2019 is going to throw at us the good and the bad. We don't know what our circumstances will be or what will change or what successes or what hardships we will face in this coming year. But we do know who Jesus is and we know that he has given us his spirit. And so as we face a new year because of that concrete truth, we can commit now that 2019 is going to be a year of substantial spiritual growth in each one of our lives. Because regardless of what happens in my circumstances, I will learn more and more to listen and follow the leading of God's Holy Spirit. We can commit so that a year from now, we can stand in this place and look back and go, that was a year in which I grew in my maturity, not because of my circumstances, but because of God's Spirit leading my life. And so with that, if we want to make that commitment, that declaration of devotion, there's one universal starting point we, can all, we all need to take a look at. And there in your note sheet, you see the subsection, one area of transformation, and your fill-in is this, our priorities. If we want to grow in maturity, if we want to experience the transformation found in the presence of Jesus, then it has to be our top priority. Anything less will not suffice. And again, there in your note sheet, I like how Richard Stearns puts it, we must put him first in our lives and not simply try to fit him around our goals and priorities, 
The call of Jesus is not to merely fit him into our agendas. It is to replace our agendas with his. Would you underline that? It is to replace our agendas with him. And his agenda is nothing short of a revolution that will change the world and rescue his children. And so if 2019 is going to be a year of growth wherever we are in our spiritual journey, then it needs to start with how we prioritize that. And as we dig even more practically speaking, that begins with our schedules. Fam, I need to confess an honest sin to you. And that is that often my schedule becomes a false god in my life that often my schedule becomes the ultimate priority, becomes the God through which my knee bows. Because my schedule as yours is crazy, isn't it? And it's not just crazy trying to maintain the bad, but it's crazy trying to do the good. I want to work hard. I want to provide for my family. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good friend. I want to enjoy life. I want to experience this. I want to experience that. But we get caught up in the whirlwind, don't we? And when we get caught up in the whirlwind, all of a sudden, what should be the priority begins falling to the wayside. And I don't know about you, but have you ever told yourself this lie over and over again? You know what? When my schedule calms down, I'll be able to reprioritize. When I get through this project at work, or when I get through this holiday season, or when we get through this hardship, this financial hardship, or this health difficulty, or when I get through this difficulty with my family, or when I finally get the promotion, or when I finally get that relationship I desire, or when I get through this rough patch that my marriage has gotten into, when I finally get through that, things will calm down, and then I could reprioritize, and I have fallen guilty so many times of looking at my schedule and saying, it is crazy, it is dominating my life, but it's just a season. Have you realized that it is not just a season? That as long as I am on this side of heaven, my life is chaos. And if I am going to thrive in God's vision from me, I need to look at the storm that is my life and I need to bring in the king who calms the storms. Something I need to remind myself often because my arrogance gets in the way that if Jesus was powerful enough to conquer sin in death, then he has the power to conquer my schedule. And I not only need him to conquer my schedule, but I need him to reprioritize to which my schedule reflects him as my top priority. And so if we are going to grow, this is where it starts. And it begins with this practical action. It begins by going into the presence of Jesus through the act of prayer. It begins by submitting ourselves. I like to say it begins by committing and submitting to be led by Jesus. And it begins by saying this genuine two-part prayer. Jesus, I commit to making you the top priority in my schedule going forward. And the second part, Jesus, teach me how to do that because I have no idea. <laughs> and when you sincerely ask, he will teach you. He will lead you. He will show you how to prioritize him. And with that, as you go before Jesus in prayer to make this your new priority, I want to give you one question of reflection to ask and let the Lord lead you. And that question is this. Jesus, show me how to prioritize entering into your presence each and every day. Jesus, show me 
every day how to engage with you through prayer, through communicating with you, through listening and receiving. Jesus, show me how to enter into your presence through your word. How again, this isn't merely a book, but this is your voice. This is living and active. Jesus, show me how to enter in your presence through the beautiful act of worship, of listening to these declarations. Jesus, show me how to use these wonderful tools you have provided, which can be people and wisdom, which can be software like a free Bible app or Spotify or Apple Music. Father, show me how to prioritize entering into your presence each and every day. And when you commit and submit to his leading, then you will experience a growth like no other. Amen? And so as I invite the worship team to come on out, as we close up this time of teaching, so throughout my life as a Christ follower, I enjoy different devotionals and different Bible study methods And there's one that I find myself coming back to over and over again. And that's an older devotional called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Now, when I say this is an older devotional, this was first published in around 1917. And so the language is a little bit different. And it's not necessarily the devotional I tend to use each and every day. But every so often, I'm drawn back to it, and it just has a way of speaking specifically to my heart and my soul. And so it's no coincidence that last week, I opened up my utmost for his highest for the first time in a long, long time. And the Lord spoke to me directly on the same topic. And so what I want to do as I close our time, heading into our time of worship, is I want to just read this devotional to you. And it's a little bit of a longer read, but I hope it's worth it, and I hope it speaks to you as it's been speaking to me. And so he writes, The Spirit of God witnesses to the simple, almighty security of the life had with Christ in God. And this is continually brought out in the epistles. Those are the letters in our New Testament We talk as if it was the most precarious thing to live the sanctified life. That's another way of saying to live this growing and maturing life. We talk about as if it was the most precarious thing to live the sanctified life. It is the most secure thing because it has Almighty God in it and behind it. The precarious thing is to try and live without God. If we are born again, it is the easiest thing to live in right relationship with God and the most difficult thing to go wrong if only we would heed God's warning and keep in the light, which is keep in His presence. When we think of being delivered from sin, of being filled with the spirit, of walking in the light, we picture the peak of a great mountain, very high and wonderful, and we say, oh, but I could never live up there. But when we do get there by God's grace, we find that it is not a mountain peak, but a plateau where there is ample room to live and to grow because God has enlarged my steps under me. When you see Jesus... When you really see Jesus, I defy you to doubt him. When he says, let not your heart be troubled, if you see him, I defy you to trouble your mind. It is a moral impossibility to doubt when he is there. Every time you get into personal contact with Jesus, his words are real. My peace I give unto you. It is a peace all over from the crown of the head to the sole of the, of the feet and it is an irreplaceable, irrepressible confidence. Your life is hidden with Christ in God and the unshakable peace that Jesus Christ has imparted to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the vision you have for our lives. Thank you that you see us as being more 
then admittedly we often see ourselves. Thank you that you gave us your son to forgive us of our sins, to make the way for us to embrace and to experience this vision. Thank you that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit, which is our teacher and our counselor, which leads us into the presence of Jesus in which this vision is fulfilled through the act of transformation. And so as we head into the new year, Jesus, we commit that this year will be a year of growth, not because of our perfection, not because of our circumstances, not because we're going to immediately know everything there is to know, but because the Holy Spirit is with us and it leads us to the ever-present presence of Jesus. And so as we close out our time by declaring this final song of worship, as we receive our tithes, our gifts, and our offering, Jesus, this is our commitment and our devotion to you. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we all said, amen. Let's stand and sing together. As we head into a new year, take that line we sang, that all you are is who I want to be. And let that be what marks us in 2019. Let that be what marks us in 2020 and 2021 and the years and the decades to come. Let that be what marks us in our relationships, in our friendships. Let that be what marks us in our places of work and business. Let that be what marks us in our successes. Let that be what marks us in our trials and our hardship. That we have been resurrected by King Jesus. We have been given His Spirit and when we listen and follow, we will encounter him, we will be transformed, and we will live out God's epic vision for our lives. Amen? If you'd like to pray with somebody before you leave this place, whether you're here in the worship center or you're over in the ridge, alongside this wall to my right are some men and women from our prayer ministry. Their prayers are powerful and they would love to pray over you. Rocky Peak, I hope that you have a wonderful and a safe Happy New Year. Next weekend, I really hope you can be here to ring in 2019 with us. Michael's going to be back here, and he's going to be doing a special message to get us ready for our Loving People series. And so I hope you can be here to join us in that. I love you, church. We'll see you then.